Donuts. Episode 170. The one where we prove that Paul might have been a southerner. The Theonauts Podcast. Christian news from around the globe. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. Explore the vast reaches of God's Word. Hello, all you Theo Bond servants out there. I'm David Gaddy. I'm Jeremiah Orr. Together we are the, the Theonauts! You know, I'm looking at this sticker on your computer, and I'm really thinking that that looks a lot like you and me. I know. I've thought about that, actually. <laughs> it's so weird. <laughs> but, I mean, the totally, like, for me, like, yeah, I could line up with C.H. Spurgeon and everything I do. But you, I, I mean, mostly, the other one's Calvin. <laughs> I don't think you line up 100% with... Well, not 100%. Good old John. But I certainly love me some John Calvin. Me too. <laughs> it's so funny. So, yeah. I don't line up 100% with Martin Luther or... Uh, that's true. St. Augustine or... I mean, hey. <laughs> so is it Augustine, Augustine, I say it every or t- Augustine? I say it different every time, just in case. <laughs> <laughs> I figure I cover all my bases. Augustine, Augustine, Augustine. Let's take a stand. We should call him. Go something new. Yeah. Uh, Augustine. <laughs> Augustine, uh, no, Augustine, oh, that would put the emphasis on the G, we've already done that one. Yeah. I don't think there is a new way you can say that. It's an, anyways. August time. That has an, hi, how are you, David? I'm good, man. <laughs> we're, we're on a roll now. Yeah, three weeks, let's, let's uh, knock on wood here. Let's keep it going. Yeah. It's awesome. So proud of us. We're back on the Sunday night thing right now. Yeah. So. Not bad at all. Oh, that's good. How was Sunday morning? Oh, I thought it was awesome this morning. It was the worship was out of this world. Yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. The preaching, I don't. Yeah, well, you know, was, we, we had a long-winded preacher. Yeah, but the worship, <laughs> man, that was incredible. <laughs> Anyways, so uh, yeah, the harmony was great. So were the keyboards. <laughs> <laughs> worship minister's only as good as his harmony and his keyboards, right? <laughs> Oh man, what did we do this it's, week? Worship's always fun. Let's see. We watched. We went and watched the Bible tour. Yes. Oh my gosh, that was so good. And how can we haven't done that before? I don't like, know. This has been going on for a few years, right? Yeah. Matt Marr, Natalie Grant, and one of our favorites, and Andrew, Andrew Peterson. Peterson. Oh. And so yes. he not, just didn't get enough screen time. Though. No, he didn't. But I mean. For what you know, what it was, that was just brilliant. Well, and I don't remember who was the the rap performer that was there. I don't there. remember that guy. I didn't know him either, and it's not that we don't know Christian rap. He's just not. I don't think he's a mainstream yeah. artist. But. but but he, you know, if you were one of his fans, you would have been kind of disappointed too, I guess, because he right. had what three songs, right? Or something. Peterson like did like three. Well, the, the the cool thing to me was that I was expecting a concert. Right. Like, you see all these names, and you think, okay, this one's opening for that one, et cetera, et cetera. Sure. That's the typical concerts that I go to. Right. And But this was like a show. Yeah. 
like it told us the Bible story through uh, visuals sure. from the Bible miniseries. Right, which you can watch on Netflix. <laughs> and uh, I think that was basically just that promotional like for the for the Bible series. But man, it was it was really cool because it, it instead of making the artist the center of the the uh show it made god the center of the show so we were worshiping the whole time which is so neat man so good and and you know there are some um there's some things in that miniseries that aren't you know completely accurate but the cool thing was that the visuals just being able to see like jesus walking on the water oh yeah while you're worshiping and while you're singing these songs and uh so i just thought it was Amazing. Very well put together. And, Natalie um, Grant blew me away. She's a singer, man. Yeah. She's really good. And, and um, yeah, I was not expecting um, her to be quite as as powerful powerful as she was. Um, and, of course, the Andrew Peterson stuff was just amazing. Yeah. Uh, his Is He Worthy song is just a masterpiece. It is. It really I just is. love That's that song. That's the best song. way to describe that. It is a masterpiece. It's, yeah. it's so well thought out, mm-hmm. and it's uh, this whole... Um, uh, orthodox type of call and catechism answer. or whatever you yep. want to call it, where there's you know the question and answer and and it's just done so well and <laughs> so powerful. If you have not listened to that, Google it or YouTube it. Is he worthy? And just amaze yourself with uh, with how awesome God is. <laughs> so, anyways, that was really fun. It was a good good week. It felt really short, but even though I had a full week at work, so it's kind of yeah. interesting. You're back at uh your your group is back from from India yes. from India so I'm back in Dallas this week pretty regular oh but that's okay you had a nice there's, couple weeks there, there. there's there's perks and I mean there's pluses and minuses right to that, you know pros and cons you get to go to your favorite uh, places oh the eating eat. is just ridiculous <laughs> if I went down there every day I'd probably gain way too much weight <laughs> there's, there's too many good places to eat down right there, so and all that but yeah. It uh and and plus you know it's good to to uh, you know I like the people I work with on sure. the whole. <laughs> so for the most part, <laughs> none of them listen to the show, so I can say what I want. <laughs> Let's say uh, they, you know, none of mine do either. What's up with that? All our closest fans or friends, and they just don't listen to the show. Yeah, it's my okay. parents don't listen. Hey, you know, what is it Jesus said? You know, a prophet's not welcome in his own own hometown. That's right. So, but hey, we're reaching people in all over the place. That's right. And if you're listening, thank you so much. We, uh, we're doing this because we love to do it, but, uh, also for you. So thank you for listening. Yeah. I haven't looked at the, uh, statistics in a little bit, but man, last time I did, we were like getting a lot of listens from California and New York and, and it used to just it was just Tennessee and Texas, right? Because of our affiliates in in those areas. But um, man, it seems to to have really branched out. Yep, a lot. Pretty that. cool. So. All right, you ready to do <clears throat> this thing? Yeah, let's do it. Thanks, Bob. Thanks, Bob. If anybody didn't know, Bob's in the studio this uh, evening. He's 
He's playing a song for us. Yes, so you're going to have to serve somebody. If we can title this episode anything, it's you're going to have to serve somebody. (laughs) Right. We've been uh, walking through in our church the book of Romans. Actually, David's been leading us through the book of Romans. And today he spoke on Romans chapter 6. It was really, really powerful. So I thought we should do that for Theonauts. Instead of our normal topical stuff, we're going to walk through Romans 6 and what it means. Um, Wow, there's so much in this. Yeah, do some exegetical (laughs) stuff. Do some exegetical stuff about what it means to be slaves to sin or slaves to Christ. And anybody that got my uh, Paul jib in the beginning, (laughs) the first time I said this, this is the second time we've recorded because we messed up on the very first thing. First time I said that, David goes, what? (laughs) And then immediately started laughing because he realized that in the King, this is what I meant, in the King James Version, there's a part that says, now reckon yourselves, <laughs> right, as slaves, right. no longer slaves to right. sin, but as slaves to righteousness. And that's what I meant. I had no intention of meaning that Paul was a slave or pro-slavery <laughs> or part of the Confederacy or anything like that. So let's just get that out of the way right now. But I wanted to do it anyways because I thought it was funny. It cracked so. me up so much. I was like, really? You're going to go there? I know we're not very politically correct, That's. but are we going to push this... <laughs> That's the kind of thing that'll get us some serious watches and hate mail. Yeah, because that's what we want. Exactly. If you can't be famous, be uh, notorious, right? Right. All right, anyways. Okay, so yeah, let's dive into uh, into this chapter that deals with serving people or serving something. And uh, the thing that I like about this chapter is that it is often misused. Oh, yeah. And so when I say that's what I like about it, it's not that I like that people misuse it. I like the fact that when you, whenever you look at it and you see what uh, Paul was saying and what uh, the Word of God is, it doesn't mean what people are almost entirely, whenever you hear people grab things out of this chapter, it's messed up. Like, right. Like some of the things they may be saying may be true even, but... They're using it out of context. Yeah, and that's such a big thing. I mean, I feel like that's the number one issue we harp on besides unity in, in Theodos' context. But oh. Scripture needs to have its context. Mm-hmm. Or, Basic exegesis. Yeah, or or um, it can really be a detriment to people and really be a hardship mm-hmm. um, and place burdens, undue burdens on people's back. So definitely Romans 6 is one of those that's that's really can be taken out of out of context. Yeah, and Paul is is uh, actually uh, indulging in a rhetoric. Mm-hmm. He's creating a rhetoric or a diatribe. Um, he is he's already in the Book of Romans. He's already established an argument, and now he's defending his own argument with questions that could arise. Yeah. For the English teacher in me, this is the rebuttal stage, right? When you're writing an essay or an argumentative essay, this is where you think of what your opponent might say in response, and so you have an answer to that opponent, and that's exactly what Romans 6 is. Yeah. So what has he established so far? Well, uh, the main thing that he established, well, obviously, the first few chapters of Romans are dealing with the problem of sin. Mm -hmm. Uh, Chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3 are all telling us, doesn't matter if you're a pagan, doesn't matter if you're a righteous, quote-unquote, person, doesn't matter if you're a religious person, 
doesn't matter who you are. You have a problem with sin, right. and always will. Right. As long as you're walking on this earth and, and breathing Amen. the air here on this earth, you're going to be dealing with sin mm-hmm. in some way. Um, and so his question then becomes, how do we make ourselves right with God? If this is a constant situation, and you who have the you who don't have the law uh, are breaking God's law, and those of you who do have the law are breaking God's law, and God re- requires uh, com- complete adherence to yes. his standards, then how in the world can anybody be saved? And obviously, then he, in, he brings in Jesus and talks about, in chapter 4 and 5, he talks about salvation comes through our faith in Jesus, that he is our atonement, that he stood in our place, that he took our punishment, and that everything lands on Jesus, both his obedience and, his, and our punishment. And, and so his obedience to, to God then is, comes to us, and our, um, and our, our, uh, uh, our sin goes on to him. Mm-hmm. He becomes sin for us and takes the punishment for that so that when now when God looks at us, we are clean in his sight. We are justified. Yes, amen. And so that's the main uh, crux of, of chapter 4. Chapter 5 is basically saying now that that's, now that that's true, you can rejoice in it. It's an amazing thing. Yeah. And it, leads, it allows you to go forward. He does this thing where he compares Adam with, with, uh, with Jesus. <clears throat> and then at the end of chapter five, he does he he says something here that that would prompt a question. So at the end of chapter five, he says, um, "So that as sin reigned in death, grace may also." Well, let me back up a little bit. Now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, <coughs> grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So he makes this bold statement. Yeah, that's a that's a huge um, shift statement, a changing statement from his old religion, mm-hmm. from Judaism, right. and everything. So it's it's no longer adherence to the law; it's salvation by grace through faith. And he had made the argument that the lo- that the law actually increases our trespasses; it inc- right. increases our sin. And but that's okay because the more there is sin, the more there is grace. And but that leads people to go, oh, wait a minute. Does this mean then that I just sin? The more I sin, the better things are. Like should, I should just keep doing this. Like that's the question that he's going to start with, right? And um, so this would be the greasy <clears throat> grace kind of question, right? Which right. we've talked about before. This idea. So you're saying I can do whatever the crap I want to do, right? And I'm free. And even, in fact, I'm almost encouraged to do even more sinning because I get more grace every <laughs> right. time I sin. God's glorified. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and there are people that will actually argue some of that stuff. Right. Um, but it's so cool that, that Paul expected this response. Exactly. Because, and he even said in chapter 5 too, this is what people claim we teach. Like he said, and, and then he gets all up in arms and says, that the people who claim this judgment should come upon them, like <laughs> woo, like he makes this really uh, harsh statement about it. He's throwing some shade, yeah, <laughs> dude. Okay, <laughs> you don't like that term? I just think it, I don't know. You're so <laughs> it's, it's old, so David. teenage. You're not a teenager. I'm a youth minister. <laughs> I have to learn this stuff. Anyways, go ahead. Okay, so uh, <laughs> so what shall we say then? What are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Meh. <laughs> I was expecting the, I was expecting uh, some profanity, but hell no. 
That's what it says. Yeah, and your mom's going to listen to this episode. Oh, I know. <laughs> oh, well. Sorry, Mom, but it's the truth. Paul cussed, not me. I didn't do it. Yes. It okay, so this word, he says, by no means in uh, the ESV, which is a very calm way of saying what he actually meant. The word underneath that is meh, which is not your normal statement of uh, a negative statement. Uh, there is, uh, I believe it's... Uh, ulos, something like that, is the normal no that mm-hmm. you would you, you would the negative statement that you would use. <clears throat> but he uses this extreme negative statement, which was the equivalent of of being unkempt or or almost profane in it. Right. So I mean, hell no is actually a really good tra- a translation of it. <laughs> you won't find a translation that does that. <laughs> not yet. But <laughs> hang in well, there for the theo not translation. <laughs> Of the New Testament <laughs> there, coming soon. There might be one. I don't know. But he <laughs> but he makes this this he's basically trying to shock the listener. Right. He's he's wanting to get your attention. He's yes. wanting to say, uh, there is no way that's right. what I'm saying. And uh, so he says, How can we who have died to sin still live in it? Mm. Um, I want to point out this the, the term here is actually translated translated quite well in the ESV when it says, Are we to continue in sin? Uh, right. I think the King James just says, uh, "Are we to sin that grace may abound?" Or, or you know that sort of thing. But there is uh, the tense in the original Greek verb form here um, is is dealing with something that is continually happening. It's progressive, right? It's it's a it's a constant state of being. Mm-hmm. It's not uh, it's not talking about a, a slip up. Or you know a one off thing. Or... I like so in English it'd be like I am jumping. So it's a continual, present, progressive there you tense. Go. Yes, yes. Yes. So um, he's talking about lifestyle. Is what he's exactly. Talking about. So he's not. He, he's. He's. The question could be rephrased uh, to be functionally equivalent to say, should we live in a sinful lifestyle now because of what you just said? Right. So that grace can abound. You know. Right. And grow. And and he's like, well, of course not. Like, no, you you would never do that. And. Uh, and he says, because you've died to sin. Oof, this is the this is the crux of the entire chapter right here, that first uh, answer. Mm, yes, so you've died to sin. Right. Why would you live in something you've died to? Yes. And uh, he says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into, Jesus, into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Uh, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in a newness of life. And that's why we fully immerse in our baptism, because <laughs> like they go down in the grave, we go down in the... Right? Yes, that's exactly right. All right. So, uh, preach it, brother! Preach it! <laughs> um, so, the, <laughs> I reckon... I reckon. <laughs> um, so... The one thing, the one point I really wanted to make about this is is Paul is not preaching uh, the sacrament of baptism. No, that's not what is. That's not the point. No. And although this this passage may have been used to argue that uh, at some point, in fact, I really do think that immersion would be a better word to use here instead of baptism. Yeah. So let's talk about this word for just a minute. We, yeah. we should probably we did a, an episode on baptism. We but, did, but it was from a different angle. Right. It was um, on when we were doing our gospel, and series. we didn't hit the 
But yeah, I want to talk about the what, about stuff. the word. Okay, so the word baptism we get from the Bible, right? Like that's the only place we know it from, right? That's because in the English language, it basically was created when the Bible was translated into English because there wasn't a word for it, right? There's it, the the word uh, baptized as we know it. We think of of the baptistry and what happens inside of a baptistry, mm-hmm. or I guess if you're uh, Presbyterian or or uh, um, um, Catholic. Catholic, or I was thinking Methodist. Methodist, thank you. There's, yeah. Well, it's West, L- if you're liturgical, West, if you're Wesleyan, <laughs> Wesleyan, uh, most liturgical churches, <laughs> then yes. you're gonna you're gonna get that through sprinkling or whatever. Yeah. But uh, okay, so but the point is, we have our this concept around what we think baptism means. Right. However, the Greek word that where it comes from is baptizo, so it's really not even a translated word. It's what they call transliterated, where you take the original language word and just uh, make it into your your language. Sure. So baptizo simply means to dip or to be covered in, to be immersed in. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's used all throughout the Bible in places, some places where it is actually translated that way. Uh, like for example, when Jesus is at the the quote unquote Lord's Supper, and he's saying, "Hey, someone here is a traitor," and everybody goes, "Who is it?" And he says, "Whoever it is that dips into the dish with me is the traitor." Well, the word he used for dip is the same word, baptizo. Whoever baptizes with me, okay. Well, if you were to translate, you could get some weird theology there, right? Oh, sure. The person who's baptized with me is a traitor. Traitor. <laughs> But he's just simply talking about putting his hand in the dish. Right. Um, in Revelation, you have uh, you have Jesus coming back uh, to war against the nations and and his enemy, and and he comes back and it says his vestibule or his his robe is dipped in blood, mm-hmm. and that term "dipped" is the same word "baptizo." Right. Um, so you can see it means something different. And even in the context of uh, the word baptism, First Corinthians ten one through two. Uh, says, for I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized into Moses mm. in the cloud and in the sea. Okay, what's that mean? Well, he's talking about going through the Red Sea. Right. How wet did they get when they walked through the wet, the Red Sea? They were dry. They were dry, but it, but they were baptized through it. Exactly. They were baptized into Moses. All All of them were baptized into the faith of Moses. By those acts and and walking through the sure so um so that can I don't know if anyone ever got confused about that they should have if you're thinking baptism is what we what we think of it as and then in First Peter three verse twenty he's talking about um, Noah and he says because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was uh, being prepared in which a few that is eight persons were brought safely through water baptism. Uh, which corresponds to this now saves you not the removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God through the conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So again, it uses this word baptism in reference to what happened to Noah and his family. He's like, just as in those days, eight people were saved by water, so are you. And and so a lot of people go, ah, oh, that proves that that this is talking about uh, immersion and mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Well, wait a minute, what happened to Noah and his family? How wet did they get? Right. That the water did not they were saved through the water, not in in the, water. in the water. So I'm just basically saying all this not to make any type of point about the sacrament of baptism at all, except for to say this passage isn't teaching that uh 
anything about the actual sacrament. Exactly. It's teaching about death and resurrection. So it's basically saying you've identified with Jesus through his death and through his resurrection, which is what baptism, as we know it, does. Hmm. It identifies you with his death and his resurrection. So when you went into the water, you died. When you came out, you were resurrected. And, but that, that was more than a physical act. It was, a, it was something that Spiritual. happened in your heart. Right. So whenever he's saying this, he's talking about what happened in their heart. Right. Because he's going to be asking them who you're going to serve in here in a minute, right? And that, exactly. it, that all ties to the heart and not any type of thing that happened externally. So as he says, he says, we, we were buried, therefore, with him into, by baptism into death in order that we, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, you too can walk in newness of life. Amen. <clears throat> All right, so that, that was a rabbit we shot. Yeah. Come back, bam! We got to get okay. to this focus. <laughs> Sorry. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. And we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Right. So this is where he's introducing this concept of slavery. Yes. So I wanted to just bring up, I know we talked about baptism, but that's why I say that immersion almost makes more sense to me. We were, verse 4, we were buried, therefore, with him by immersion into death. In other words, we were immersed in the death of Jesus. Correct. We were completely there with him. Right? Yes. And so we're immersed in... In his death, we're immersed in his life. And this is where he's bringing this whole death-to-life picture, dead to one thing and alive to another thing that we need to we need to focus on. All right. Anyways. Yeah, so did you do this or did you not do it? That's kind of... Exactly. You know, um, for, the, for one who has died has been set free from sin. Okay, so this past, this, this statement could be somewhat confusing. So he says... Uh, the one who has died has been set free from sin. Some translations actually bring in a little clarity here. Has been set free from the power of sin. sin. So, and that's really in context, that's what he's saying. He's not saying that you have been set free from the presence of sin. That that comes later whenever we're no longer on this earth. It's glorification. Right. Right now he's talking about something totally different. Well, not totally different, but it's the the process by which the end result becomes glorification. Um, But I think it's really important to note one who has died has been set free from sin. Well, let's talk about glorification real quick. How is glorification really going to happen? There's only one of two ways it's going to happen. Either you're going to die... (laughs) <laughs> at which point you will be set free from sin. Right. You will sin no more if you're a saint. Or Jesus is going to come back. Mm-hmm. Those, are the, those are the only two pathways by which you're going to be set free from sin. So, I mean, this, this, uh, the statement is absolutely true. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Right, right. And so he's taking it to, uh, if that's a physical... Yes. Interpretation of, of what he's saying, but right. on the, under, the other side there's is a, that there's a spiritual exactly uh, meaning. So this, of this is the idea. So the same way, mm-hmm. a spiritual death sets you free spiritually from sin. Right. So even though we are still in the presence of it, we're not under the power of it. Amen. 
So, and that that is one of the things that's really hard when you start using this word saved is uh, it's a slippery English word because we use it for all kinds of things, you know. Um, I saved a dollar at the store. Okay, is that the same as you saved my life? (laughs) No, there's a drastic difference in those two things. One of them is a redemptive thing, and the other one is, well, I mean, I guess you can redeem a coupon and save a dollar. (laughs) 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 That's weird. How did we even come up with that? I never even thought about that until I just used an example. Redeem, we redeem like, coupons. Okay, turn it in, save a dollar. save. Redemption and salvation all happens at the grocery store. So <laughs> It's a beautiful picture of God, isn't it? Yeah. Our coupon, the gospel. <laughs> Anyways, go ahead. You so, were saying. Well, yeah, the, the whole point there being is that the word salvation is uh, malleable. I mean, we can, we can make it mean a lot of different things. Uh, whereas... In the scriptures, it's pretty clear cut. There's three different ways that we talk about salvation in the scriptures. There's justification, which he already covered in chapter four and five, which is being made um, positionally correct right. with God so that you are no longer in danger of any type of hellfire. Mm-hmm. Like you've been completely uh, made right. Yeah. And that is, you're free from the penalty. Of yep. sin. So the best way to look at this is uh, the three Ps, the penalty of sin. That's what justification is. And then what we're talking about in Romans 6 and 7 and 8 is sanctification, where we're made uh, more like him. We've been being drawn into his nature. And um, that means we're free from the power Amen. of sin uh, because sin doesn't have dominion over us, which is what we'll get to in a minute. And then, of course, there's the third P, which is... Uh, the the presence yes of sin and that's glorification that's the the final step yes so and that only comes as of right now we are still in the presence of sin and, right. and we always will be so but we're set free from please the power. do not think that this chapter is telling you you won't have to sin anymore you won't have any sin in your life anymore or, or that every time you sin you need salvation again. Right. Oh, I must not have been saved to begin with because right. I just desired this thing I shouldn't have had, and I gave in to that. And so my heart must not be right. I must not be serving. And that's what we're talking about when we say this chapter is taken so out of context so many times. Yeah, because it's almost like people want to read it and go, oh, okay, uh, it, it's telling you you're not saved by grace. That is not what it's saying. He's not nullifying his entire first half of the argument. Right. He just wasted five chapters telling you that he that we are saved right by fa- uh, our faith through grace uh, or by grace through faith. But here he is he is making the example of. But that doesn't mean that you still are in bondage to sin. Right. So uh, yeah, let's move. Forward a little bit. So, um, okay. So he says here, uh, where were we? If we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. Verse eight. Okay. Um, yes, and uh, we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. So now it's introdu- it's personifying both the words sin and death. death. Mm-hmm. So sin and death are both being personified in this chapter to talk about. Uh, having dominion, which, what does that mean? Ruling. It's a kingdom. It's a kingdom. It's a monarch. And uh, so he says, for death had died, for death, 
I know this is always so wordy, but it's so profound. I love it. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Hmm. And so it's saying this is Jesus. This is the death that he actually died was so that he could die to sin. And the life which he lives even now is to live to God. Hmm. And so it's saying you're a mirror of that. That's right. Don't forget you're a mirror of, of that life. So you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in, in Christ Jesus. And there's the reckon, by the way. Oh, yeah, yeah reckon yourself. Reckon yourself. Mm. You know, I heard a yeah, really good pastor whenever I was a kid that really uh, mm-hmm. helped me out with this this idea. It was a picture. And we'll get to the dominion, which I think is even better picture. Yeah. But he's like, imagine that I died, and I'm laying up here in the coffin, and it's my funeral. I'm dead, right? And let's say that you walk up to me in the casket and you lean over and you whisper to me, you know, I really never liked you. <laughs> what am I going to do? Jump up and beat him. Nothing. That's right. Exactly. You're dead. What if What if you hauled off and just punched me right in the face, right in the casket? What if you just punched me right in the face? What's going to happen? Nothing. No, you're not even going to care. You're not going to care. You're dead. <laughs> So whenever you're dead to something, that means that there's no reaction, right? Right. So when I'm dead to sin, if I'm supposed to reckon myself, now that doesn't mean I will never sin, but it means that I'm supposed to consider myself dead to sin. Like a relative says, you're dead to me. Yes. Which is a great, another analogy. I can use tons of analogies for this. That's another great analogy. Where, you know, if somebody says you're dead to me, what are they saying? That I'm I'm never I'm consider consider yourself so separated from me like that life and death are separated. Does that make sense? Right. So anyways. But and, and um so um uh, let's see. Sorry, I threw you off. No, no, no. That was that was awesome. Um let not sin therefore reign. In, oh, your, in your mortal body, yes, but m- to make you obey its passion. Um, so here again is another um, kingdom par- uh, comparison. Yes, uh, let not sin reign, like as in a king. Like don't don't let sin uh, be in control of everything to make you obey. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it says, do not present your members. To sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. So the the thing that I like about this is that we're staying in this whole monarchy mindset of what he said, and so everyone understood at this time what what a kingdom. Uh, is like, and you have all these provinces, especially they're in here in Rome, and you've got all these Roman provinces, and it was very common to make tribute to uh, the king, right. to Caesar, or whatever. You went before, and you represented your your country, your providence, whatever, and you would bring gifts to the king mm-hmm. and say, I present this to you. This is my tribute to you as a uh, a symbol of my service to you. And so he's using this analogy, and he says, don't present your bodies to the king of the sin as your king. And so we're starting to see a great, like he's not, he's talking about lifestyle um, 
of sin. Mm-hmm. Like, don't don't give your body over to it as a gift and say, hey, I'm going to serve you, sin, and this is my gift to you. Right. Something that I, I highlight in these verses, too, uh, where is he telling us that, that sin has its stand? Uh, if you look in verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in where? Our mortal bodies, and it says to make you obey its passions. Mm. So is he talking about sin's passions, or is he talking about your bodies, your mortal bodies' passions? I really think he's talking about your mortal bodies' passions, right, right? Right. And then he says, verse thirteen, because verse thirteen, he says, "Do not present your members. This is fleshly members, like your your hands, your, your eyes, your, your ears. eyes, your ears, to other things, exactly." <laughs> As instruments for unrighteousness, right? Yes. So before, the picture is allowing sin to reign in our mortal bodies. What are we doing? We're just we're just people of of mindless, self indulgent passion, animalistic, animalistic passion. Mm, That's yeah. all we are. Yeah. So we're hungry Acting on instinct. Exactly. We gorge ourselves <laughs> with food. Uh, you know, we, we see something sexual and we, we act on that impulse. Mm-hmm. So whenever we're presenting our bodies to sin, to the, the kingdom of sin, we're letting, letting it basically take control, take control. Mm-hmm. But whenever we present our bodies as instruments for righteousness, it changes our whole mindset. Right? Right. So God is in control. Mm-hmm. And that's where we're going with this whole kingdom thing. Yeah. So for sin will have no dominion right. over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. And he does this little backhanded slap here. Right. Because uh, chapter 7 talks about law and grace. Yes. And, and the 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 presence of law and what it means and death to law there's all kinds of things that that he that he uses that he springboards off of this with but here he's just basically saying sin won't have dominion over you because you're not under law and you're under grace so why does he even make that statement well he made the argument before that law draws us into more trespasses right it draws us into more sin and so, as I was saying this morning, you know, we, my my grandkids were over for the weekend, and I don't even remember what it was. But <laughs> Melanie was like, "Hey, guys, don't do this. Don't don't touch this." I can't remember what it was. I looked at it. and I was like, "Are you crazy? Why did you tell them not to do that?" Now all they want to do is do it. <laughs> now they're now we're gonna have to watch them because now they're gonna have to. When gonna... I was dating Christina, <laughs> oh my goodness, best story ever. When I was dating Christina, we were on like a second date. We were driving in my car, and. Uh, I, uh, it was back when people actually listened to the radio and, uh, <laughs> we had pre, I had presets, right? On my push buttons for presets. Right. And, uh, number two was sticky. And if you pushed it in, it would stay there and it wouldn't, you couldn't hardly get it out. And it was frustrating. She gets in the car and she's messing with the radio. And I just offhandedly say, don't push number two. What does she do? <laughs> Immediately pushes number two. We still laugh about this to this day. I look over and I'm like, is that what I want in a wife? <laughs> like, wow. <laughs> I'm like, why'd you do that? 
Oh my goodness! So this is exactly it. She right? like put her her finger on it and just look at you first. Like this is gonna happen. Yes, I'm doing it. <laughs> Boop. No, she didn't even think twice. She just it was like an impulse, automatically punch it. Unbelievable. That's so good. Okay, so let me jump back over here. Sorry. Okay, so here's where we change. Um, where we change gears a little bit because he's going to ask the second rhetorical question. Uh, so the first one was more about lifestyle. That's what right. he was asking: is do we continue in this lifestyle uh, so that so that grace may be uh, abounding and God may be glorified? And and of course that was all the answer um, to that whole question. Um, so then he he switches gears a little bit here and he answer and he and he poses this this next question which is going to bring us into this discussion about being slaves and about and about serving you've got to serve something and so it's like make your choice of what you want right. so um so getting into that uh, one of the greatest quotes that um that gets thrown around around all this is the saint augustine yes so i'm going to do it differently augustine. The, the, the saint augustine quote uh love god and saint do augustine it. <laughs> Got it. Got it. <laughs> All right, go ahead. It's like, like Frankenstein. Yeah. Franken- uh, Frankenstein. I'm Igor. Igor. <laughs> so uh, he says, uh, love God and do as you will. Yes. That was one of the popular quotes by... Uh, actually, it's just the quote was originally, love and do as you will. And uh, it can be that can be a confusing quote because people mm-hmm. go, oh, oh, you mean I could just do what I want. Right. And of course, if you've listened to the Theo Knots long enough, you've heard us say, "Oh yeah, what is it that you, you want? want?" Yeah, that's the that's the the answer that comes back whenever you're asking this. Right. And so uh, his whole point was, if you align yourselves with God, your will will be a, in alignment with Him, and Amen. so what you want is going to be mm-hmm. serving God. So therefore, you can do as you will. Right. Um. So his next question is, what then are we to sin? Because we are not under law, but under grace, by no means, meh. Second time. No, yes. He, Actually, third time. He's used that. Yeah, it's like the fourth or fifth. I don't know. He, he did this in <laughs> chapter two also, uh, asking rhetorical questions and answering them with this heavy, extreme negative. Uh, but again, he's saying here, uh, now it's, it's changing a little bit. He's now going to be talking about our allegiance uh, and where our allegiances are. He says, do you not know? That if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are a slave to the one whom you obey, mm. either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Mm. So uh, here he's, he's talking more about uh, individual sins, but more of a conscious, willing service to that sin, uh, more so. So he's basically saying, if you've willed yourself to that, hey, this is this how I am, this is what I'm going to do, whatever. Uh, he says, you are presenting yourselves as obedient slaves. Again, the whole dominion idea, the monarchy. Um, so he starts talking about slaves here in chapter 15. Um, I, I love this one quote that I, I heard around this chapter one time. It says, after you've been truly justified in faith, uh, you can no longer sin carelessly. Hmm. And and that is going to be the point that he that he starts to make here, um, is that last word is the very important, the most important part of that sentence. It doesn't mean you won't sin; it means you won't sin carelessly. carelessly. You will care without a care. It will mm-hmm. bother you, uh, and 
so there's a lot of times there's so many people that read these chat read these verses in this chapter and they come out of it going, oh my gosh, I may not be saved. I'm just I'm thinking about this and I've got this and I got this and I got this sin and I can't get over this and these are these are uh, killing me and maybe I'm not really saved. And the very fact you're asking that question, the very fact you're concerned, is evidence. Is evidence that you are because it's it's giving you this this whole concept of I care and 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 I want to be better. Hmm. And you know that's where God really wants you anyway. Is in a broken place because you're not relying on yourself. Right. You're it's realizing a, that you can't do this thing on yeah, your own. You you are only relying on him. When you get to the point where you can't help yourself, and uh, and so don't don't get into the po- the part where you're thinking there's no hope for me, and because uh, I know that's an easy thing to do. I've been there. I've I've gone through those seasons where it's like God can't forgive me again. I've overstepped my bounds one too many times, and this is the end of the road. I might as well just quit. Um, that's not the case. You don't ever have to think that because. Who are you a slave to? Amen. So the truth is, you are going to have to serve somebody. Mm-hmm. Prophet Bob Dylan was exactly right <laughs> on that one. And and here it is. I mean, it lays it out. You're either going to be a slave to sin, or you're going to be a slave to righteousness. Mm-hmm. Right? Thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Now, stop and listen to that. He's not saying you became obedient in all forms and functions of every, every decision and everything you've ever, you will ever do. He's saying you've become obedient from the heart. Right. You know, going way back to Jeremiah and Ezekiel, there were prophecies saying, I will write my law upon their hearts. Mm. And so... That's different than obeying the letter of the law. So now there is a there is something inside of you that is restricting you, or at least condemning you personally, right? For what you've been through and guiding you personally. By the way, right? You don't you don't have a letter of the law. You have a Holy Spirit, and you have you have the law in your heart. Yes, which is by the way. I mean, if we don't get to this on the Theonauts, chapter seven, like oh, it, it 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 comes right out and says we don't obey in that way anymore. Right. We obey in a new way, which yes. is a, is according to the Spirit. Right. Um. So he says, uh, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Mm. Um. I think that's that's so cool. Um. To talk about being slaves of righteousness, it's it's easy for us. Well, it, I mean, it's hard for us, I guess, to get our minds around what it means to to be a slave of something good, because we're not used to slavery in those terms. Right. Right. Um, when we think of slavery, and again, we we are uh, afflicted with our our American past and what we the sensitivities around this word slavery and what it meant, and we think of uh, African American slaves. Um, that were brought here against their will right. and uh, working in the cotton fields here in the southern parts of America. And, I mean, th- those are the types of things that that come to our mind when we think of slavery. But uh, let's talk a, a little bit about what slavery was in the time of Jesus and in the time of, of this Roman Greco uh, culture. 
in that slavery was not necessarily a bad thing. Um, slavery, in fact, was a lot like uh, maybe what we would consider slave wage, you know, uh, individuals who are, uh, well, I mean, they would put themselves in that position a lot of times. Mm-hmm. You could sell yourself into slavery. And there were slaves who were actually better off than a lot of free Romans. Right. Um, because they were serving good masters who, and who kept them wealthy and, and took care of them. In fact, did you know that most positions of the day were slaves hmm. because they worked in a house? Of some of a rich guy, the rich guy would would bring in a, a doctor to basically live with him, and you're our family doctor. You're going to <laughs> right, and so it was a different. The culture was upside down, and uh, <laughs> from the way we think of it. But what you would do is, um, so let's say you um, sometimes you could be born into slavery, sometimes you could be sold into slavery. But if you were uh, serving somebody. Uh, even under the Old Testament uh, uh, structure, it was perfectly acceptable to be a slave owner or to to be a slave. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's this interesting concept that that plays in here, and I, I didn't present this this morning because I'd done it before uh, there at church, but um, this whole concept of this word slave is the word doulos mm-hmm. in the Greek, which means... A bond servant, right? Which means there's an there's an agreement that this is a willful servitude. Yeah. So uh, if we go back to the Old Testament, I'm gonna look in Exodus 21, beginning in verse five through seven. It's talking about uh, slaves and slave owners, and it says, "But if a slave plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free. Then his master shall bring him to God, and he shall bring him to the door or the doorpost." And his master shall bore his ear through with an awl, and he shall be his slave forever. So, uh, and of course, there's more in here. When a man sells his daughter as a slave, I mean, there's like, what? <laughs> because of the way we think about all this. But the, the, the thing that I wanted to bring out in this is that there's a, you could, it could your indentured servitude uh, can come to an end. And at that end of that servitude, uh, you may look at your master and go, he's a great guy. I've really enjoyed working for him. And he's he's fed me, he's clothed me, he's taken care of my family. I don't want to leave. Right. And so that was perfectly legal. And they were like, okay, well, here's what you do. You go to the doorpost and you do this this ritual where you put your ear against the post and he runs it through with a, he pierces it with an awl. And there's all kinds of cool imagery here because, I mean, even though it's painful, <laughs> the ears being pierced, which is the shedding of blood. The ear was also a part of the, the cleansing ritual of the, of the uh, tabernacle in order mm-hmm. for the priest to be able to go into the, um, the Holy of Holies. They had to stay like seven or eight days in the holy place and with blood on their ear, specifically said on their, on their ear. So, I mean, there's... It's a symbol of hearing. It's a symbol of... There's all kinds of symbols that are happening right. in this. There's piercing and bloodshed. Sound familiar? <laughs> That's I mean, exactly it right. It talks about Jesus being a servant to God through the piercing, through the bleeding. And so all this stuff is working together here in what Paul's talking about whenever he says, uh, you are now free to serve righteousness. Mm. 
So he's talking about you're at the end of one service, and now you're free to make a choice into another one, mm-hmm. which is even more beautiful. And uh, and he's using this term doulos, which that word would have echoed to them. They would have known right, his what listeners that meant. Mm-hmm. would have known exactly what he's talking about. So um, he says, for when you were slaves to sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Um, So what do you think that is all about? You were free in regard to righteousness. So this is what I I believe that means. Um, People who are born and everybody's born into the slavery of sin, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So... One of the things I think about whenever I read this is why do we judge the person who's not a follower of Jesus based on the law? <laughs> because they don't follow, you know what I mean? Right. They're not a they're not a bond servant to righteousness. Amen. They're not under they're in one they're in the other kingdom. Mm-hmm. So they're totally lost and until you bring them into the light. You you dare not judge them for something they're naturally doing. If you are a slave to sin, you're free in regard to righteousness. In other words, you're not following righteousness. Right. Right. You're you're not a bond servant of that the the kingdom of light. You're you're a slave. You have in the no desires. Of you have no desires it's toward exactly righteousness. Right. So just like we were talking about before, when you're a slave to your carnal desires, all all you, all you do is focus on your carnal desires. There's no there's no desire for something other than that. Mav, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? The okay. only thing you're yes, con- that's all right. The only thing you're concerned about is number one. Sure. The id. I'm at the I'm at the top of this food chain. Right. And I got to take care of number one, and then we'll worry about everybody else. Yes. And so yeah, and I love uh, that you that you uh, that you brought that that up. That um, <clears throat> what was it the, the the way you put that about um, judging others for. Yeah, I had a thought and I totally lost it. I hate it with that. <laughs> After that, drives me nuts. Okay, I like what you had to say, Jeremiah. Thank you so much. That's great. <laughs> so, so, um, so, yeah, when you were a slave of sin, you were free in regards to uh, righteousness. Oh, I know what it was. Ah, I know what I was going to say. Okay, so Jesus talked about what you were, what you were saying. And it's another confusing passage, actually. A lot of people will get it all messed up, like in the in pearls before swine. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, so, so, so whenever when Jesus says, you know, you don't cast your pearls before the swine, or uh, or you don't take that which is holy and give it to dogs because they'll turn on you. The whole point. It. I mean, a lot of people. It's not exclusive gospel. Yes, that's like, not what he's doing. He's not saying only take the gospel to the people who will really, you know. <laughs> <laughs> who will if they don't call them dogs yeah no 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 that's not what he's saying at all in fact what he's saying is it's all about judgment right he's because that's the context judge not that you be not judged i mean that whole thing is all mm-hmm. part of the same passage but what he's saying whenever he talks about this pearls before swine he's talking about gentiles at the time yeah. and what is the pearls what is what are the pearls and that which is holy the law the law that he's talking to jews amen the he he was saying don't take the law to the Gentiles because they won't understand it. Right. And they'll just turn and fight you. Yeah. They'll they'll trample on it. Yeah. And they'll turn and fight you about it because it doesn't mean anything to them. It's 
it's God and His righteousness that actually means something. Exactly. Not the law itself. And so that's, I thought that was a great point. So it says, for uh, when you were slaves, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at the time when the things of which you are, of which you are now ashamed, for the end of those things is death? This was a powerful passage for me. Like, I think this is, for me, this is, is one of the key elements of this chapter. Um, because he's basically saying, look, you can choose your own master. You, you can choose to live in sin if that's what, if that's what you want, right? Like, if, if that's where your goals are. Or you could choose to serve righteousness. So you have this choice, but the, the, the downside is there's no fruit, that's right. In serving yourself and in serving uh, sin, there's no fruit in it. These are the these are the people that at the end of their lives they've amassed all this wealth. They're the Tom Brady's of the world. I don't know if you've seen that clip. It's an amazing clip on YouTube from Tom Brady when he's being interviewed after his fourth uh, mm-hmm. Super Bowl ring, right? And he goes, "I just I thought there would be more." And I, <laughs> I mean, if this is all there is, I'm just oh, not satisfied. Man. It's the Alexander the Great. Yeah. You know, he wept for there were no more worlds to conquer. And that's so true, though. I mean, when you're serving the id all your life, you come to the end of your life and you have nothing Mm -hmm. to show for it but death. Yeah. There's no fruit in it. Right. And and because no matter what you think, it's always like, if I could just get to this next level, I will be okay. If I could just... Get the if, if I could just get this promotion, things would be great. Right. If I could just get a bigger house, a bigger car, or more cars, or whatever it is, like whatever that corporate ladder takes you to, there's no satisfaction in any of it, and it and you're never going to end. It never stops. There's always. If it's just like you know, the people who who have no money are in debt. The people who have money are in debt. Right. It, it doesn't matter. There's there's you live to your means and beyond it. And so there's always going to be that carrot on the stick. There's no fruit that's being obtained. Meaningless, meaningless is the teacher. Oh, Ecclesiastes. Read yeah. the entire book of Ecclesiastes. <laughs> yeah. Vanity, vanity is all vanity. Right. And uh, I, I love Ecclesiastes. It's like, it's almost confessional from Solomon's standpoint. It really is. Because he's like, you know, I've been there, done that. I've, you know I've, what sucks about that, though? He never really figured it out in the end. I know. It's kind of sad, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, he was like, uh, he covers the whole gambit. Yeah. Wealth didn't fix it. Joy and 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 uh, fun didn't fix it. Women didn't fix it. What? Knowledge didn't <laughs> fix it. Yeah. You know, he's like, I've tried it all. And it's all vanity. Yeah. And of course, the the very last chapter was he says, it's "Fear the, God and keep His commandments." Yes, that's the all. duty of man is to is to put yourself. Okay, so instead of looking at that as a legalistic term, you know, serve God and keep His commandments, which is how it can be taken. Hey, hey, it comes right to this, <laughs> it right? Does yeah, it's exactly serve, what Paul's saying. Serve God. Yeah, put yourself in God's court. And the truth is, by the gospel we're able to become what Solomon was saying yes. back there in Ecclesiastes. Yes. We're able to actually serve God and keep his commandment to, to love God. Through Jesus. And that's the fruit that we will bear because of that is eternal life. Yes. He says, so the fruit that you were getting from sin is death. He says, but now that you have been set free from sin 
or the power of sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit that you get leads to sanctification, Hmm. which is the whole point of this chapter. That's right. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end is eternal life. Mm -hmm. So don't get this wrong. He's not saying that if you obey enough, the end of that is eternal life. What he's saying is that it's almost from a backward standpoint. Eternal life has been received through justification. Right, yeah. And he says, but <laughs> the sanctification leads you to it. Right, and that's the fruit. Like it's, it's a circular thing. Yes, God God is saving you, and your fruit that you're gathering is sanctification. And how exciting is it when you're willingly serving your master and seeing the fruit? Mm-hmm. You're watching your body become disciplined. You're watching your life become more in tune with his desires for you. And this is what separates us from all the other religions of the world. Right. Every religion in the world is on a path to God. Yeah. Trying to get to God, climbing that mountain to reach the unreachable heights of God. And here we have God comes down to you and carries you up the mountain. Amen. And so that's that's what he is is saying here whenever he says that this sanctification that's God coming to you and you going up the mountain with him. Amen. So he's carrying you on this path now so that you can achieve what you couldn't achieve before. And the end of that is eternal life. The very last verse of this passage, uh, for the wages of sin is death. <laughs> All right. Good night, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Forget everything we said. Just read verse 23a. Yeah. <laughs> So many times I've heard this passage quoted, half quoted, because they don't finish the verse, Mm -hmm. and at the same time use it as a finger-pointing moment to tell you why you need to stop sinning. Um, But that's not the point of the passage. Amen. He is doing something here. He says the wages, he's doing comparison contrast, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is Mm. eternal life. He's still weighing the difference between wages and gifts. Yes. That's what happens in chapter four. Like, go back and read this. This is a letter. This is not, you know, a a textbook. (laughs) And, And so in chapter four, he talks about the difference between wages and gifts. And, um... And so here he is saying the wages of sin is death. Now, this term wages is a very specific word in the Greek, which came from uh, this, this term about a soldier's pay. Right. And so he's like the soldier's pay, the, the soldier's f- who's fighting for sin is his wage is death. So if you think about a soldier in wartime and you go off to war, and you're, let's say you're on the, the losing side of this war, what is the wage of that? What do you think that's going to lead you to? Death. Death. And that's what he's saying. He was like, the, the payment for what you're doing, he says it bears no fruit, and at the end of the day, the payment of that direction is death. Right. But in contrast to earning anything, in contrast of being obedient to a law or anything like that is the fact that God gives you this for free. There's a gift involved. And that gift is amazing. It's eternal life. So answering both questions, why would you go back? That's really what he's asking. Amen. Why would you serve a, a, a master who can provide you nothing? Ugh. When you can serve him. That gives you everything. Yes. And the simple fact that you realize, and this is a cool thing about sanctification, 
the more you learn about God, I know this is going to be kind of a weird uh, twist to this whole thing, but we talk about sanctification being your journey to become more Christ-like. Um, but the cool thing that I've been seeing in my Christian walk is that the closer I get to God, the more I realize how far away I am. You know what I mean? Like the further, the, the closer I get to him, the more I realize just how good he is. And the more I think, my gosh, I'm further away than I thought I was. Right. <laughs> and so it's almost like, even though I'm growing closer to him, I'm still never reaching. Like it's well, you're never satisfied, right? There's a, correct. That's a great way to say it. There's there's this complete uh, longing and desire that is increasing. The desire is increasing because the gap between us is increasing. Yeah, and at least in my mind, as I'm understanding things, right. and so that's why sanctification is so beautiful and so uh, uh, such an amazing concept. Mm. Is that being made holy is more about being made set apart to understand God as much as it is about being like God. Amen. And so our goal is to be like him, and that's our pattern. But, man, it's so beautiful. The gift is so beautiful. How can we? How can we be slaves so, to sin anymore? To sum it up, love God and do what you will. <laughs> Amen. All right, you ready for some news? Hey, let's do it. And now the news. So the biggest uh, Christian news across the nation is that Pastor Andrew Brunson has been released from the Turkish prison for um, from after two years. If you've seen around, um, if you if you're on Facebook and you have any conservative friends, you will see a picture of. Uh, him praying with President Trump in the yeah. White House. Um, where, let's see, North Carolina Pastor Brunson is returning to the United States after spending two years in prison in Turkey, where he was being held on espionage charges. The Associated Press reports that Brunson was convicted of quote unquote terror charge, but was nevertheless released from house arrest almost exactly two years ago. President Recep Tayyip. Idrigan's regime squashed an attempt, attempted coup and imprisoned more than 20 Americans as part of a political crackdown, including Brunson and his wife, Noreen. Noreen was released two weeks later. Ben Andrew was held in prison until July when he was moved to house arrest. He His case has been a source of great concern for evangelical leaders, most notably Vice President Mike Pence. Last August, the Trump administration leveled economic sanctions against Turkey, after talks for security securing Brunson's release failed to materialize. Man, hit them where it hurts in their money pocket, right? Mm. The Treasury Department has doubled the aluminum and steel tariffs already in place. Brunson has lived in Turkey for over 23 years before his imprisonment with his wife and children. So Brunson free, the missionary is free, and he's come home. Um, so, yay. That's pretty awesome. That is awesome. How about this? Hallelujah. Fallon and Colbert, Jimmy Fallon and yes, yeah, Colbert might yes. show up to a random church and serve mass. What? <laughs> Tonight's show host Jimmy Fallon was a guest on the recent New Yorker Festival, where he talked about a number of topics, including the show's approach to politics, his SNL days, but also his faith. Fallon, who grew up wanting to be a, become a Catholic priest, revealed that his show came really close to getting the Pope to be a guest. 
Like late show host Stephen Colbert, he served as an altar boy when he was young. (laughs) He then revealed that he and Colbert have been planning on visiting a church together. He said, we actually talked about showing up to a random mass around the city and just reliving our altar boy days and serving mass one day. We might still do it. (laughs) So if you're attending a Catholic mass in New York City, who knows? You might just run into the late night's biggest star. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. That'd be so awesome. Be like, hey. Oh, that's cool. I wish I was a Catholic now. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Lauren Dangle visited a mat. I love Lauren Dangle. Mm -hmm. She's an amazing singer, worshiper. She visited a maximum security prison to lead inmates in worship. Cool. Um, She did something over the weekend. Last Friday, Dangle visited the Stateville Correctional uh, Prison in Illinois and held a full worship set with inmates. The Correctional Center is a maximum capacity state prison, which currently houses 3,500 inmates. Dangle took to Facebook to share her experience and even posted a really moving video titled A Day More Than I Can... Uh, articulate heads up, it will make you cry. So, this is from a relevant magazine, but yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, she says, We sang songs with inmates whose voices carry deeper in our hearts than the echo of a microphone will ever release. Mm. I saw hope in the face of the hopeless, joy in the wake of sorrow, wealth in the gap of depravity, and life in the midst of death. These people have stories, they also have souls. I watched heaven befriend those who are often forgotten. With each day that passes, may I never take for granted what it is to walk around as a free man. I held a bottle of cold coffee uh, upon pulling out of Statesville Correctional uh, Prison. My hand had never remembered the bottle being so cold. Wow. (laughs) That's deep. Yeah, that's very deep. Man. There's a new report out that witchcraft is on a serious rise amongst millennials. (coughs) Go figure. A Trinity College survey found that between 1900 and 2008, a number of self-described Wiccans in the U.S. exploded from just 8,000 to more than 340,000. Wow. That's insane. According to some estimations, there could be more practicing witches in the U.S. than mainline Presbyterians. More witches! <laughs> there are some distinguished uh, distinctions in the terminology, however, from Wicca.com. Yeah. Wicca draws from the old traditions of witchcraft. While it is true, we would simply like to clarify that witchcraft and Wicca, while similar in many respects, are not the same. One can be a witch without being Wiccan, mm. just as a person can be a Christian without being a Baptist. Wicca is a recognized religion, while witchcraft itself is not considered a religion. It's a denomination. Yeah, so thus Wicca might be described as a modern religion How do you based know on ancient... she's a witch? <laughs> oh, she turned me into a newt. I got better. <laughs> what do we do with witches? She's Batman. dressed like one. What else do we do with witches? Burn more witches. <laughs> what else floats in water? Little rocks, small rocks. <laughs> apples. Apples, apples. A duck. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Very yes, good. You're so wise <laughs> in the ways of the witch. So funny. Uh, and last but not least, the Mormon Tabernacle Choir is removing Mormon from their name as the religion continues its rebranding. Oh, really? 
That's well, right. It's a non-denominational Mormon tab. <laughs> the move is the latest in a series of efforts to formally rebrand Mormonism. Earlier this summer, Church President Russell M. Nelson unveiled new guidelines instructing Mormons to only refer to the re- to the religion as the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Though he said Latter-day Saints, not LDS. However, it's okay for shorthand use. According to the church's teachings, God himself gave founder Joseph Smith the formal name back in 1838. Back in August, Nelson released a statement saying, The Lord has impressed upon my mind the importance of the name he has revealed for his church, uh, even the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. New guidelines say the term Mormon is an unofficial but inoffensive nickname for members. So instead I never of, really thought about that. Like where the the term Mormon actually came from? Joseph Smith originally it was Mormon. Oh, okay. You were a Mormon, and it was supposed to be a denomination of Christianity. Well, that's a really interesting study. We ought to do a Joseph Smith history. Yeah, I might offend some of my friends. I got some. I got him, some friends that know quite a bit about all that. But I got some friends that are actually Mormons, <laughs> and so I might offend them. But it's very interesting to go into that history and see what happened mm-hmm. with Joseph Smith. Man, the guy was shady. I mean, really shady. Well, there was like a war and all kinds of things that happened. Well, that was mostly against them, actually. Mm. When they were in Missouri, yeah, yeah, people didn't like them very much. Yeah, and they they started a war. That's where my, my friends were from Missouri, and so they're they're always like, "Yeah, uh, the Garden of Eden's right down the road." By the way, exactly. But but before that, did you know that Joseph Smith was uh, in prison for uh, like up in New York before he became uh, before he started his religion? He was in prison for um, being a soothsayer. Oh, really? Yeah, he would he would tell you your fortune by looking at a top hat. Sound familiar? <laughs> Very interesting. Also, he grew up with uh, the guy, The oh, well, he, he lived for a time. He, so he's kind of like a vagabond. He went from place to place. Gypsy, huh? Yeah, he was, well, he, he got kicked out of a lot of different places. But he ended up living with this guy whose dad was a pastor and believed his dad actually wrote a book. This, this guy that he lived with. Yeah. His dad actually wrote a book predating Mormonism that believed that the Native Americans came from a lost Jewish tribe. Sound familiar? Yeah, yeah. So Joseph didn't gotcha. even come up with that. That was a a book written 20 years before he was even, you know, quote-unquote enlightened, unquote, enlightened and right. interpreting his unum and thunum and whatever and <laughs> ridiculous crap. So anyways... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because that's not going to offend your Mormon friends at hey, all. <laughs> I love them, and I really believe that they know who Jesus is because they're a follower. But man, that <clears throat> uh, it's not a denomination. Yeah, as much as they want to try to hide it, it's not a denomination. No, it's. I don't think so either. <laughs> anyways, all right, that's it, man. That's it, huh? That's all I got. All right. Well, let's uh, let's. Time to hit the dusty trail. Flip the script. Well, I'll push the button. There we go. The Theonauts are part of the Great Commission Transmission Network using new media and social networking to go into all the world and proclaim the good news to everyone. 
To find out more, go to gctnetwork.com and subscribe to the newsletter. Stay up with to date with all of our shows, including Finding Christ in Cinema and the Secret Fire podcast. Visit our website at theonotspodcast.com for show notes and outlines. Listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or your favorite podcast catcher. And be sure to rate us because that helps us reach a larger audience. There are many ways you can contact us and leave us feedback. Send us email to theonauts at gctnetwork.com or call us on our voicemail line, which is 972-885-7270. Tweet to us on Twitter using at Theonautical. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash theonauts. And if you like us and want even more Theonauts, drop us a buck or two at patreon.com slash theonauts. Your patronage helps in our expenses like hosting fees and equipment costs. Don't forget to tune in again and explore the vast reaches of God's Word with us. All right, Jeremiah, thanks for being here, brother. Thank you, David. God bless. This has been the Theonauts Podcast. Call us with your questions or comments at 972-885-7270. That's 972-885-7270. Love to hear from you. You are tuned in to the GCT Network. This is your great commission. Transmission. At GCT Network.com. Money doesn't command. Women are in the cage.